0: Are you a nonprofit professional who's feeling overwhelmed and burnt out? Well, welcome to the Lead with Heart podcast. I'm your host, Haley Cooper. On this podcast, we will share stories of leadership, courage, and empathy that will help you learn to take care of yourself, your staff, organization, and community. You will hear from nonprofit leaders who have been in your shoes and have learned best practices to raise more revenue and make a greater impact. Let's thrive together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Lead with Hard podcast. I am Haley Cooper, your host. And today is a total pinch me moment because I have Mazarin Trez on my podcast. And I have been following her for years and have used her tips and tricks as I have developed my own leadership and fundraising journey. So I'm just so honored that she is here and willing to have this conversation with me. A little bit about her. She is an effectiveness coach specializing in human design and she helps leaders and teams step into their highest potential. How does she do this? Human design and the gene keys. For the last five years, she has consulted for nonprofits and governments in the U.S. and Canada, helping executives, leaders, and small teams operate more effectively by knowing their unique designs. In addition, she co-founded a nonprofit, worked as a fundraising consultant, partnered and contracted with the National Small Business Administration, the City of Austin, Texas, Oregon Small Business Development Centers, Oregon Metro Regional Government, and others. And for more ideas on how you can work together, we'll share at the end and also share in the show notes. But welcome. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me, Haley. I'm so excited. Thank you.
0: To jump right in. Can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and how you discovered human design and, you know, what led you there? Yes. So I don't know if anybody on this podcast can
1: relate, but when I was younger, I saw some people in my family not getting along. And I asked myself, why is that? And I sort of started to study as in college different kinds of personality typing systems. I studied like the destiny cards and I got certified in that system. And then around the age of 21, I found human design and that really transformed how I saw other people and how I realized how I interacted with the world. And it made me a lot more compassionate for people that couldn't seem to get it together, (laughs) you know? And it's like, oh, well, your design means this. Therefore, you're like that. If you know your design, then you're going to struggle a lot less and you're going to be more successful in life. But, you know, it's a system that's based on the I Ching astrology and the chakra system and nine centers instead of seven centers. So it's very esoteric. And I've always been into that sort of thing. And that hasn't changed. It's not going to change. But I love it. It's like... When you can finally have someone have this aha moment about why their interactions go a certain way or who they are deep inside, my favorite sessions are when people cry and just because they're realizing so much about themselves that was hidden from them, you know, and even you and I, as we were just talking briefly before the recording started, you're like, now I know not to push because I'm a generator. And I love that for you. Like, how long did it take you, right? It only took you like a few years to figure this out, right? you're going to have the rest of your life to be successful in your strategy to wait and respond.
0: Yes, totally. So thank you so much for sharing that intro. And you just shared so much good information. But why don't we start with kind of the basics if people don't understand? And we will link to some resources for human design. But can you just start with What is human design and what are the different types? You mentioned that I was a generator, so that's one of the types, but I know there are four or five different types. So can we just start with what is human design and what are the types? Sure. Human design
1: was, as he puts it, downloaded into Rauhu and Ibiza in the early 80s. And he then created the system that people all over the world have been using ever since. And then... After he died in the early aughts, Richard Rudd kind of took over aspects of different parts of like what human design could mean and he turned it into the Gene Keys. And the Gene Keys is all about, it's kind of like human design is like high school and the Gene Keys is like grad school. So human design can give you like, you know, personality pieces and then Gene Keys can tell you like, so this is what your life means, (laughs) you know? It's like, oh, okay, great. It's in this book. Awesome. You know, and again, take what you like resonates with you, leave the rest. But yeah, there's five types in human design, but that's a very, very, very simple place to start because each human design chart, as we said before, we start recording is completely different. This is not like a Myers-Briggs or, you know, disc equivalent. This is something that is, is really very, very individualized. And if you want to get your own chart, go to mybodygraph.com. That's a great place to go great place to start. And if you do want a reading, there's plenty of human design readers out there. I'm one of them where you can get a book about it as well, and that's also very helpful. But sometimes it's better to be with a reader just because you can really talk with them and then they can say and this is where this shows up in your chart and this is where this shows up in your chart instead of being like I don't know what all this stuff means. It's very very complex. So the first five types, as we said, generators and manifesting generators are 70% of the population. That means your sacral center is filled in and it means that you have consistent access to energy. And for you, your strategy is to wait for the uh-huh or uh-uh response. And once you know that, then you're good, whether it's what to eat or who to have as a partner or what job to take or who as a client or whatever it is. So that's really useful as a strategy. And if you know that you're following your strategy, your signature is satisfaction. When you're not following your strategy, your signature is frustration. That's a generator thing. So the vast majority of people listening to this, pay attention. And then the next one, that's about 20% of the population is projectors. They don't have their non-energy type. So they don't have their sacral filled in. They don't have like their root filled in usually. So their signature is bitterness if they're not following their strategy, which is, so for generators, it's weight to respond. And for projectors, it's weight way to be invited. And the difference is, they have to be able to be in the world and people can come in to their aura and say, okay, like, I need you to do this thing. They're like the real, they're leaders. You know, so Barack Obama is a projector and they're natural leaders. They're not here to work, they're here to direct. And then they're also here to rest a lot more than other people because they don't have consistent access to energy. And the next most common type, about 15% of the population is manifestors. So manifestors, their signature is You know, basically, they can just, when people say, just manifest it, like, they really can't. Most people can't. So if you ever try to manifest something, that's why you're not supposed to. They're here to just inform and then act. And so if they don't inform, people are not going to follow them. And that's why when they're not acting in their strategy, they get angry. So they're like, hey, I'm going to do this thing. Oh, okay, I'll help you with that. Or, oh, okay, I'll follow you. You know, that's what manifestors are here for. And they're also a non-energy type, so they do need a lot of rest and time to process away from generators. And then the next type is a reflector. And so reflectors, the final type is has no centers filled in. And so their strategy is to wait 30 days before making any decision. And that's really hard for them. And it's hard for our very, I would say, culture that's obsessed with moving as quickly as possible towards your goal and generators will so be like, oh, let's just do it. And then the reflection be like, I'm going to hang back. I'm going to think about if this is right for me. But it can also make them incredibly intuitive. And what it's really interesting about having completely open centers is that you can be the equal of anyone. You can simply reflect back their energy to them and amplify it. So if you're a reflector listening to this, you're about like 1%, 2% of the population, don't worry you're here to play your own part. Like Sandra Bullock is an incredible actor and she's a reflector. My acupuncturist is a reflector and she always knows exactly what's wrong with me and exactly where to put the needles. Super intuitive, super incredible. Like just because a center is defined or undefined does not mean anything good or bad. Defined means how you are affecting the world and undefined means that's where wisdom can come in for you. So there's no such thing as a bad chart.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. And yes, I have been on my own journey of human design the last couple of months. And I am definitely a pusher where I'm like, this needs to happen this time and like set up all these goals. But what I've learned is that strategy doesn't work. The universe always has my back and, you know, I can wait in response and how I have done that since I've learned about human design, things have shown up in such a better way <laughs> when I've just surrendered and trust the process. And So it's just a beautiful process to, you know, dive into and kind of learn more about your personality. And like you said, it's different than traditional Myers-Briggs. So before we hopped on to record, you mentioned that this was good within a leadership and team dynamic. Can you share a little bit more about how like it's different than Myers-Briggs and how a leader can use it within their team dynamics?
1: Sure. Sure. So, I mean, with Myers-Briggs, it seems very reductivist to me because it's like, oh, you're either an introvert or extrovert. You're either an apple or a banana. You're either, you know, a judge or a perceiver, you know, and I looked at know, years ago and with the other assessments that there are, and I found it lacking because I feel like we encompass so much more than any little tiny test can show us. And I feel like, Human design can really reflect that. So for an example, if you have taken my advice and gone and look up your own chart on mybodygraph.com and if you want to pause the podcast and do that, this will make a lot more sense to you if you're looking at a chart. And we can always put a chart in the show notes too. Just an anonymized chart. Somebody's random chart, right? But if you're a leader and you have a team and you're like, how do I use this with my team? This is what I do with different organizations and government right now is I say, okay, you're really stymied because this person isn't, you know, responding where you want to. And you have to ask yourself, you know, am I leaving enough space for them to speak? So some of us have defined throats, some of us have undefined throats. What that means is people with undefined throats have to wait for permission to speak. So a lot of times the defined throat is just talking, talking, talking and wondering why the other person isn't talking. And then the, other, the undefined throat, you can be like, so what do you think of that? And then they're gonna feel heard and they're gonna wanna do better with you and for you but you have to learn how to leave space. That's just one tiny example of how you could shift your management strategy just very slightly with someone and make them a better you know, team member. Another one is, let's say that you have a generator on a team and a projector on a team. And you're wondering why the projector just can't seem to get things done. They might be burned out. Maybe you have to give them a different work strategy so they can get things done when they feel like getting them done instead of an eight hour work day. That's another way to look at this and say, oh, okay, it's how I don't burn out my team and still, you know, get results from them. So that's another way you can use it. Another way you can use it is to understand that some people have their wills underdefined and some of them have it undefined. So if you're like having a hard time motivating your team and you're like, oh, but this person has a defined will, let's get them all in a Zoom room together or let's get them all together in a group. And then like this defined will person is going to make them feel like they can do anything and they're just going to get stuff done all day long. And like, I'm not saying if you ha- don't have a defined will, like your life is over and you don't have any willpower. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that sometimes in human design, like centers aren't connected to each other. And it can be really nice to have people with different centers come together to make a team that is like able to do more instead of being like expecting the same performance in the same way from vastly different people.
0: Hey there, podcast family. If you're like me and deeply committed to improving your leadership skills and fostering better connections with your team, I've got something truly amazing to share with you. I'm proud to introduce the EMC Masterclass, something I talk about often as a certified trainer. It's an incredible program developed by the renowned Dr. Lola Gershfield, an organizational psychologist and corporate emotional connection expert. You might remember her from a podcast episode where she shared invaluable insights into the world of emotional connection. Dr. Gershfeld's EMC Leaders courses are designed for anyone working with people, whether you're a manager, supervisor, team leader, educator, coach, mentor, or a team member. This program is truly for everyone looking to enhance their communication and collaboration skills to raise more revenue for their mission. Now, let me tell you why the EMC Masterclass is a game changer. Dr. Gershfeld's groundbreaking emotional connection process has been integrated into top universities curriculum and recognized by international organizations like ICF, HRCI, and SHRM. Humans are wired to seek emotional safety, and when we feel safe, we're more likely to take risks, share innovative ideas, and collaborate effectively. The EMC process is the catalyst for creating that emotional safety within your team. The virtual EMC masterclass consists of eight modules with four hours of expertly recorded material, 13 quizzes to reinforce your learning, and a workbook filled with activities for offline practice and something I still refer to daily. Ready to become an emotional connection master? Dr. Gershfeld is offering an exclusive detail for our podcast listeners. Use the code Heart to enjoy a generous 10% discount on the EMC Masterclass. Head over to emcleaders.com and enroll in the EMC Masterclass today. Yes, I love this strategy. I use a different approach and so it's always good to hear other approaches to really building a team dynamic and productiveness and efficiency across teams and you know, being able to be responsive to different people. And I always say self-aware leaders are exceptional leaders. So how can, you know, obviously we can use it within a team dynamic and tell our team how to interact with each other. But in order for our team to be more productive, we have to be self-aware ourselves. So how can, and you mentioned a little bit about like Barack Obama being a certain type of projector, I think you said. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how can we build more self-awareness around human design to be better leaders? And so then Mm -hmm. we can, you know, obviously show up for our team in that capacity. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you really hit the nail on the head. Self-work is the name of the
1: game in entrepreneurship and in leadership. You don't do the self-work, you're going to be a terrible person to work with because you're (laughs) going to have like all of these Masks that you wear and all of these unconscious responses that you're giving and you just don't know, you know, who people are around you and you don't know yourself. That's the problem. So for anyone listening here who hasn't like yet gone to therapy after two and a half years of COVID, I would suggest you do that. (laughs) COVID's not going away anytime soon. Therapy is a great tool, but also human design. And here's how that can work for a leader. So... Starting out with a reading by someone who knows what they're talking about. Starting out with a reading will give you so much information. You need them to process that reading. So then the next reading you get, I suggest is a, a reading that goes into a deep dive and you journal on different questions, different aspects of your chart. So you journal on, you know, the key numbers in your chart. We haven't even talked about like the I Ching numbers or the gates of the chart. You could journal on the lines of your chart and what they mean. We haven't really talked about those yet either. You could journal on the centers of your chart as well, what is filled in and what is not filled in. There's so many aspects that can help you know yourself. But then after you've really plumbed the depths of that, then going into the gene keys really allows you to start to understand, oh, this is how I'm going to evolve over time. And here's here's my dark side. And then here's who I can be if I choose to focus on my gifts. So that's one of the key pieces of Jungian psychology is focusing on the shadow so that you don't pretend that everything is light all the time. You have to integrate your shadow. And I think when we don't do this in our organizations, it is to our detriment and it leads to what's called mission mirroring, which is your organization perpetuates the kind of thing that you're set up to prevent. For example, an abusive domestic violence organization. I've worked in one of those. Another example, a, an organization that's set up for racial justice that ends up oppressing the people that work there for people of color. Another example of mission marrying is, you know, people getting money for homelessness at the government level and then squandering it. You know, like, oh, and you think homeless people don't know how to spend their money. You know, like, look what you're doing. Like, it just happened in Seattle. They got like $2 million and spent on a billboard about homelessness. You know, and so when we don't look at our shadow, we don't can't look inside and say, Oh, how did I screw up? Then we won't be able to then integrate like that into our self-knowledge and and lean into our gifts. So the shadow part has to come first. So that's the next step, and that's the gene key step in human design. And then after that, there's another stage where you look at the pearl sequence, which really goes into more depth of like, what is your vocation? What is your culture? What is your you know, what are the other aspects of what you're here to do and how you're here to do them? So that's something that, again, you need to really take time to contemplate and process. It's not something that you can force, but it's something that you can allow. And as a generator who now knows about allowing, (laughs) I think that'll resonate for you. (laughs) Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. I know like I've been in therapy myself the last two years and I know how beneficial it has been in the different strategies that I've used and then, you know, doing some more of the inner work and, you know, the approach that I use to leadership and you kind of mentioned about shadow work is like seeing your own fault, which I want to talk a little bit maybe about conflict resolution and how this can play into it. I use the emotional connection approach, which is really understanding the four components of emotional intelligence, which is self-awareness, self-management, relationship management and social awareness and understanding, you know, your own emotions and the emotions of others and then showing up responsively. So, in the context of human design, if you know your own and you're self-aware of your own shadow work and you're aware of other people's like how can this influence conflict resolution?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what human design really does is it allows us to be aware of our flaws and vulnerabilities in a way that's not very personal. It's like, oh, well, this is just part of my chart. This isn't personal. And so when you can have that conversation with someone and say, look, I see you acting out your shadow in this way. Have you noticed that? This is how I act out my shadow. A lot of times we get into this work, whether it's nonprofit work or, you know, government work, because we want to make a change. And that often comes from our family of origin issues, right? And so we tend to recreate those issues, family dynamic issues in the workplace. And we tend to do trauma bonding with people that we work with. So the more we can step back from that, the more we can have a clear awareness of who is this person really? Oh, they're not my mom. They're not my dad. They're, you know, a different person. And I get to be, I get to be different now that I know and I can step back from that. So using human design and showing your own design to your team and saying, look, this is what I'm working on can you help me with this? Allows them to then come to you and do the same thing. Say, hey, I see what I'm working on. Can you help me with this? And so suddenly you have more trust. You have more vulnerability. That's mutual vulnerability. And you're showing willingness to each other to build a mutually trusting relationship instead of you know how the workplace is set up, which is very oligarchic and adversarial and punitive, just in terms of like policies that may be in place. And so... You really do want to build trust deliberately at work. That's one of the key pieces that will help you succeed, you know, now and in the future.
0: Yes, that is so important. That should be like taught in leadership courses because this stuff isn't taught. And, you know, building that culture of emotional safety and psychological safety is so important. We just want to push, push, push our teams towards our outcomes. But if we're not creating that trust and that safety, then the outcomes aren't going to be achieved. They might be achieved, but you're, like you said earlier, your team's going to be burnt out. They're going to leave. They're going to not be as efficient. And so it's so important, like you said, to build that trust and that safety. Something else that you mentioned a little bit earlier was, you know, understanding, you know, your different centers and your wills. How does that maybe within a team dynamic help We just talked about not necessarily being outcome driven, but in terms of like, you know, that safety and connection, how does it help your team build goals and build Mm -hmm. like cohesive goals when you're working towards the same mission so that Mm -hmm. everyone is, you know, held accountable, but also know that they're working towards the same goals. So I know, you know, as a generator, I operate differently and I have my main thing is, you know, doing things that excite me excite other people. And I have seen that. And like, I never really recognized it that way. But now that I'm doing things that excite me, I see the domino effect, if you will. So how within a team dynamic can teams set goals within the unique aspects of each person?
1: I really appreciate you saying that. This is a wonderful question. What I'm coming to understand after 13 years of coaching and 13 years of being in business is that So much of our dynamics in the workplace are based on fear and shame and guilt. Mm -hmm. And so when we expect everyone to work a single way and push through and do it, even if you hate doing it, that really sets up a toxic dynamic. And so when we start to understand how each member of our team operates differently, I feel like it can allow us to start to trust that if we don't like working as a leader, we can go take a nap and let our staff do the same. Or go take a walk or whatever feels good to them. For generators, we have to burn out our sacral every single day or else we don't sleep well at night. For projectors, they need an hour at least in bed alone before they sleep so that they can feel like they won't burn out. And that can help them sleep better, right? But when it comes to creating goals, knowing that we're not all here to operate the same way and giving ourselves permission to, for example, if the energy pulse is on in the root, my root is defined. I get stuff done when it's off. I need to stop trying to make myself get stuff done. And having that self-compassion, which goes back to therapy, which goes back to, right? All of these things that we're talking about, emotional safety, right? I'm really glad you brought that up. Allows you to have more compassion for others. So knowing your own unique design allows you to say, okay, this needs to happen in this time frame. I don't care if you work at midnight or 9 a.m. I just want you to get this done. So results only work environment or R-O-W-E, right? Can really help you then honor the pace at which people need to work. Some people with an open root center just want to get it done as fast as they can. And other people need some time to pause and reflect and wait to respond. So maybe you're not giving them enough time to respond to things. For a projector, maybe they need to be in the planning stages, but they are not really good at the you know, execution stages. Maybe the manifestor is created the execution stages and also gets resentful, angry, because no one is following them because they didn't communicate enough in the group chat or in Asana or whatever system you're using. And maybe the reflector is there to tell you the health of the group itself and their feelings need to be acknowledged and considered in every single meeting, so that you can know if you're making a healthy or a toxic work environment moment by moment like everyone has their own part to play and manifesting generators which we haven't really talked about too much which is what i am have all of the great parts of both manifestors and mm-hmm. generators so we can be angry and we can be frustrated you know <laughs> like and we can like push ahead and try to make things happen and leave things unfinished right so if you know that you're like everybody has different aspects of what makes them a good team player. So like if you're making goals, let's say that you have a goal of a million dollars by the end of the year, or, you know, you have a goal of like doing this many donor visits, then you know that the manifesting generator needs to have somebody following up with them and saying, did you get this done yet? So they finish the project. And the projector needs people to, you know, leave them alone a bit, but then come back to them and help give them some energy to push through. You know, the reflector needs to have enough alone time to feel like they're centered and then they can come back to you and start to help you hone in your process down to something that's really supportive to each team member. I mean, they can be great leaders as well. Every single one can be a great leader. It just depends on like, are you designed to finish things? Are you designed to not finish things? There's actually two different lines in the chart. The, The thing of starting things and the thing of finishing things. Like some people have them and some people don't, you know. You can still finish things even if you don't have them. It's just like an example and we're all defining each other all the time and our environments are defining us it's not just this is how you are for the rest of your life you know like that's why it's really great to know what people's strengths are and say oh great when i put these two together then they get a lot of stuff done because of their charts but also like it helps you like organize your teams differently it gets goals done as well like having people in isolation is the is a killer so
0: for productivity i should say and goals Yes, and sadly, so much in nonprofits, we keep people in silos. But they need yeah. to be together. You mentioned a little bit about fundraising, and before we hopped on this call, you said human design influences fundraising. And as a CFR and a fundraiser, I haven't really looked through it at that lens. I generally look through it at my own, you know, personal relationships, and then you know my work that I'm doing. So, can you talk a little bit? You know, you said a little bit about goals and designing goals and whatever, but. A little bit more about how it influences fundraising. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So I've actually presented AFP National on this like in 2021. And people had a lot of interesting responses. And I really enjoyed like looking at people's charts right there. So for example, one of the ways I see human design influencing fundraising specifically, and I'll say it from like a more personal level, like is like, for example, if you have an open identity center and you can be friends with lots of different kinds of people and you're not going to judge them, you can be like, great, I'm going to invite the drug dealer and the DA to my party. It's (laughs) going to be awesome. It's going to be lit, you know? And so my brother has that. He has so many parties. He has so many friends. And he's friends with very different kinds of people. And I'm like, wow, you really like this person? Okay. He's like, yeah, they're really fun. (laughs) And also this, right? Well, my center is defined. So like... I like I like a certain kind of person. I don't like everybody, you know, but he's designed to be out there meeting and greeting, you know, as they say, the woo in the, the StrengthsFinder finder system, right? Like that's him. He's a great relationship builder and so you can see how that would apply to me for gets fundraising. You know, but if you, you have a defined center and you're really passionate about the cause, then you can use that definition to define the people around you and say, but don't you care about this? Now let's talk seriously. You know, this is very important. This is who we are. We are a society, (laughs) you know, that doesn't let its children die of cancer like they used to, you know, and then you can go with that. You can go with the identity aspect of it. Right. So that's another way you can be a good fundraiser. If you know if your center is defined or undefined. So if your throat is defined, And you have a hard time letting other people talk, like noting that about yourself and being like, "Cool, I can let this donor just talk just by sitting here and just trying to like lean back and not say as much, you know, knowing that can help you be a better fundraiser. If you are having a hard time with your feelings at work, and I don't know anyone who hasn't cried at their fundraising (laughs) desk. Like I think we all have. This fundraising is hard. It's hard to do it alone. And so... Knowing if your emotional solar plexus is defined or undefined can be a humongous tool for you as a fundraiser. So, for example, I have a defined emotional solar plexus. So, that means if you're just undefined, I can be helping you feel what I feel. Now, as you know, a lot of times in fundraising, we want to help people feel. So, if I'm already feeling sad, I can be like, you know what, I just heard the saddest story the other day. And then the donor, the tear. Comes down their face. Or maybe you're writing an incredible appeal letter or a critical grant proposal or whatever it is. Or maybe you're just like motivating in a board meeting, you know, as an executive director. And when you start to like really bring your feelings to the table, you can help other people feel and say, wow, like, yes, we need to do something about this, you know. So if you have an undefined emotional solar plexus, sometimes other people's feelings can feel completely overwhelming to you. And you'll be like, I just don't want to deal with feelings. I just don't like feelings. Or it can make you just suddenly someone walks by and they have a defined emotional solar plexus. Like you can start to feel what they're feeling. Like, oh, I feel angry. I'm starting a fight with my partner. What's up with that? So it's really good for parents to know as well as team members to know they have undefined versus defined how a child's mood is maybe going to affect them. Like, so me with my defined emotional solar plexus, my parents was undefined. I could walk into a room and they would start fighting with me. Like, well, if I had known this when I was 16, then this would, be a way different childhood that I've had, you know, and I didn't know it. And now I know if I want to be around my parents and to get in a good mood and then I can go be around them and then I can go away and have whatever mood I want. But now that I know that, I mean, also as a fundraiser, you should know like, Hey, if I'm going out into like a networking event or a party for fundraising, I need to make sure that I'm in a good mood is so I don't, you know,
0: unintentionally turn people off and away from our cause. Those are just some examples of how that can work for fundraising. Yes, I love that idea. I know I'm going to an event after this where I like only know one person and I'm like, I do like to get into a good mood and like get in the right headspace. I also do some good music on my drive and like get all hyped up to go because I know that I need to like turn that different brain on to be able to network and things like that. But yeah, I think those are such helpful tips to share on the different approaches to fundraising. And it takes out that, you know, I'm, I identify as an introvert, if you will. And I've been told so many times that as an introvert, I will never be successful at fundraising because it's a very highly extroverted culture, right? That you have to be the one that talks and be loud and be the one that can build all the friendships. But I think through this perspective and the human design, it allows for everyone to be in the room. It allows for everyone to, you know, like you said, have those unique approaches. And if whether those centers are defined or undefined, you can approach donors or approach fundraising that way. So I love that it takes that equation out of it almost and really provides that new perspective, especially for leaders as they're hiring people using this human design approach, whether they're going to tell that on the job interview or not, but you know, evaluating who they're going to hire because each person or each of the five can be effective in this role.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily use it for hiring. I think that could be discriminatory. There's really? no way to change your human design, and you are not be like, "Well, I want a projector. I want to, you know generator." Because then your biases can come in. I would say afterwards, if people are open to saying, "Yes, I'm curious about this," great, but never ever force anyone to show you their human design. Like
0: that's that's not a good idea. Like this has to be a thing that they want. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I meant so more like with you know, not, yeah, not discriminating people based on it or based on whether they're, you know, an extrovert or an introvert, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of weird. But it is. Yeah, thank you I mean, introverts can be
1: incredible fundraisers because like, as we said today, like you can let people talk and you can just listen. And that is such a powerful fundraising tool. A lot of people are really, really hungry for someone to just listen with a positive regard. And you can bring that. You know, in small doses, in crowds, if you wish, (laughs) you know, and then go home and decompress, you know, and just knowing that about yourself,
0: you know? Yeah, I think that's so important because often they get misconstrued. And yeah, it's all about where we get our energy. And that applies to human design as well. Mm -hmm. So is there anything else that you want people to know about human design? Obviously, we'll share all the goodies in the show notes, but anything else that you'd like to share? Mm. Well, I would say to
1: people, check out my site, humandesignreadings.net. Or you can check out mazarinetraise.com and, you know, look at your chart of mybodygraph.com. I think that it's a really great first step to just kind of see what you're working with. I would say Karen Curry has an excellent book about human design. If you want to just kind of like dip your toe in before you get a reading or after you get a reading, and you want to go deeper. It's a very useful book, but there's so much more we didn't talk about. We didn't talk about the incarnation cross. We didn't talk about like this shadow side of all of the different positives of human design you know there's so books and books written about this stuff so yeah i'd love to keep the conversation going so if you want to reach out and say hi and say i'm curious i offer free 15 minute readings and happy to share with you what your chart says
0: amazing well thank you so much for this conversation i learned so much and i look forward to sharing it with more people
1: yay thank you thanks for having me
0: If you have valued these stories or learned something from what you've heard, please share this podcast episode or follow me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for your support. And together we can build a better community and world.